It's Friday, February 7th, and this is our first episode of the PioPod this semester. In today's episode, we'll be hearing from international affairs professor Cyrus Partovi and Abdo A. Reyes, an international student from Iraq. They will be sharing their perspectives on the ongoing Iran crisis. If you've tuned into the nightly news over the past couple weeks, you've likely heard the headlines. This is CNN Breaking News. Our breaking news tonight is huge. A rocket attack on the Baghdad airport kills Iran's most revered military leader and a senior official in Iraq's paramilitary forces. Now, the Pentagon announced tonight that the attack was a U.S. airstrike. This morning, the entire region on edge. Iran vowing retaliation amid fears the two nations are on the brink of an all-out war. Funeral processions, unlike anything seen in decades, are continuing this morning. Overnight, Iran taking revenge, launching a barrage of missiles, targeting two U.S. military bases and coalition troops in Iraq. This, Iran said, was its vengeance for the U.S.'s killing of its top general. There were at least two waves of attacks. Then Iran's foreign minister tweeted his country was ready to step back if there was no American counterattack. And this morning, no reports of U.S. coalition or Iraqi casualties. For a closer look at these controversial events, we spoke with Cyrus Partovi, a senior lecturer in the International Affairs Department and the former Foreign Affairs Director General to the Shah of Iran's Imperial Court. So, well, I'm Matthew Feldman. I'm here today with Cyrus Partovi of the International Affairs major. Cyrus is a bit of an expert on Middle East politics, and today he's going to tell us about Qasem Soleimani. Am I saying that right? Qasem uh, Soleimani. Qasem Soleimani. Yeah and um, his recent assassination by the United States and the political ramifications in the Middle East and beyond. Um, so I guess the first question is, who is he? Who is Qasem Soleimani? He's uh, the head of the Quds Brigade, Iranian Revolutionary Guards, mm-hmm. uh, that has been always very active outside Iran. They were instrumental in creation of uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon, and they've been involved very much in uh, Iraq and Syria. And Yemen, so they have you know the Iranian Revolution about the Quds uh, uh, division has been very active outside Iranian territory, not as a defensive force but as an offensive force. And why did the United States at this time choose to assassinate him? I mean, he's been a known character for many years. Yeah. And again, he's been as as uh, the press has reported, he's been involved in these IEDs, uh, killing. The many American soldiers in Iraq, and and so I mean he he's not. Uh, I don't think anybody shed any tears around the world. I don't think any country really. I don't, I don't recall any anyone um, strongly objecting to his uh, you know assassination. Uh, but he you know clearly the time was ripe, and I think that my understanding from the press reports, again, that uh, President Obama uh, had the opportunity to do, uh, take him out, but he didn't because he knew the consequences. But the Iranians, I think this was a very powerful message by the United States uh, to the Iranians that, uh, you know, we're going to, you know, uh, push back on your behavior outside the, 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 your territory destabilizing Syria. I mean, the Iranians control Syria, essentially. The Iranians have been responsible for the survival of the Assad regime. That's, there's, 
no, no one doubts that. And so, um, and the Iranians do the R Russian bidding around the Middle East as well. Right. Um, and so then after this, though, the Iranians retaliated. Um, would you consider this a measured response? A lot of people are saying that it was intentionally um, targeted precisely in order to not escalate further. Absolutely. It was, uh, you know, just to make sure that was for their own domestic consumption. As soon as they launched the missiles, the, you know, the, the, the propaganda machine in Iran said we retaliated and um, the Americans didn't respond and it was a victory. And, um, and uh, clearly, if a single American uh, soldier was, uh, you know, taken out. I think that the, Ameri the American government would have responded much stronger. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah, the escalation of tension. I don't think anybody is going to benefit from uh, the military confrontation between Iran and the United States because of the American Iranian's capability of blocking the Strait of Hormuz and all that stuff. Going forward with the U.S.-Iran relationship, um, do you see it continuing, continuing to with these kind of escalations of assassinations or stuff like that? Listen, you know, you took my latest politics, U.S. foreign policy, United States will will uh, come to. We we have a, a we had a good sort of an understanding the tongue of the Soviet Union, and um, I think that the Iranian regime is no lot worse than the Soviets. Uh, you know. Union. So yes, the United States will would want to uh, establish cordial relationship as long as the Iranians stop uh, stop bothering our interests in the Middle East, uh, destabilizing Saudi Arabia, uh, getting involved in Yemen, getting involved in Lebanon, getting involved in Gaza, destabilizing Iraq. I mean. I can go on destabilizing Bahrain, uh, the Gulf states, other than maybe so so forth. Right. And so yes, as long as Iran uh, uh, backs away uh, from its behavior outside this territory, I think sure the United States would be more than happy. But I think you should know. I've said that again. One of the pillars of the Islamic Republic of Iran is anti-Americanism. That's they've tried since 1979 revolution, the great Satan. So you establish it, suddenly you open up a diplomatic relationship, that would, they would have to justify it. But the, the, the news, as you know, the press, the young, the youth, the young want uh, opening of dialogue with the United States. Speaking of the youth, there seems to have been an increasing lack of trust in the government, especially among these urban youth that you talk about, um, especially with the recent downing of a Ukrainian airliner by Iran um, and the sub subsequent cover-up. Um, For 72 hours. Yeah, 72 hours. Does that, do you think, shed any light on the fractures within the Iranian government and people? Um, For sure, it shows the, the duplicity and the, you know, the uh, duplicity of the Revolution, Iranian government, the Islamic Republic of Iran. The, how can the president of Iran says, I didn't know about it for three days? I mean, obviously, what kind of a president are you that the Iranian Revolutionary Guard doesn't share such an important, uh, you know, the, the information with you? I think that they thought maybe they could hush it up, but there was no way they could because the American satellites could pick it up 
And so, yeah, I mean, there, there is a lack of credibility. The Iran, the economy, the sanctions are working on Iran. Unemployment is high. Inflation is disastrous. The Iranian real has collapsed. And, and the sanctions that we're putting on the Iranians are really hurting the average Joe on the streets of, you know, Iran. Not the well-to-do, well-connected. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've seen on, on social media, people are saying, oh, World War III is happening. Would you say that's a very unlikely thing to occur? Or from, World War III with Iran? Yeah. Well, I think that's nice if there was a World War III. I think that I think the Iranians are, in final analysis, rational. Mm -hmm. They know the consequence of any escalation of uh, military confrontation with the United States. I think that the United States can there wouldn't be any need for World War Three. The United States can uh, uh, cause the collapse of the Iranian regime within 24 hours by blockading the Iranian ports or uh, damaging the Iranian uh, oil installations, refineries. That's the only Iranian source of income. So, but I don't think that the United States is interested for Iran to collapse because if it does, Iran's collapse will be actually a hundred times worse than Syria because of you know, the diversity, ethnicity, ethnic diversity in Iran. I guess one question I had was how, how you see this affecting pretty tenuous uh, relationship with, between Iran and Iran. Good question. That's very good. I mean, obviously, the Iran has uh, you know, a lot of influence, the Iraqi government. There was, there was no, there has never been love lost between the Iranians and the Iraqis, obviously, they fought a eight-year war from 1980 to 88, when Saddam was around. Uh, so uh, there never was. There was always this Shatul Arab River dispute between Iran and Iraq. Uh, but Iran has a great deal of influence in the Shia population. The two cities of Najaf and Karbala are two important religious cities in Shia Islam. But the great uh, the Grand Ayatollah Sistani in Iraq who is the, probably the most uh, revered uh, Grand Ayatollah in Shiite Islam, clearly rejects this whole notion of the Islamic Republic of Iran's uh, Fari, Velayda Fari, uh, Ayatollah Khamenei's position. So he rejects that concept. He doesn't understand this Shiite concept of Fari, sort of uh, introduced by the founder of the Islamic Republic of Iran, uh, Khomeini. So there is, so your question is great. There's distrust, but at the same time, uh, I don't think anyone trusts the Iranians. But the good news out of all this not, uh, mistake that we intervened in Iraq and broke Iraq up in 2003, the Kurds now, the, the Iraqi Kurds have autonomy. And the Shiites, for the first time in the history since the foundation, the creation of the state of Iraq, the Shiites now can exert their proportional influence because all that time till taking out Saddam, the Sunnis were ruling Iraq. So again, going back to your question, um, just a sort of a detente or entente and understanding, uh, just you cannot ignore, the Iraqis cannot ignore Iran. And so uh, they, they, uh, they tolerate, and as long as 
the United States has vested interest in Iraq. Uh, Iraq will stay sort of uh, sovereign, independent, but there's no way that the Iranians are not going to, are going to pull out of Iraq completely. Uh, the Iraqi parliament recently voted to expel the Americans out of Iraq. Do you think that's actually going to happen? That or? was again sh yeah. sh just symbolic yeah. voting, saying that we, you know, obviously the United States violated Iraqi sovereignty by mm -hmm. killing an Iranian on Iraqi territory in terms of international law. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was sim symbolism. I, I think that the Iraqi government knows very well that they, they need American presence in Iraq as, a safe, as an insurance safeguard. Uh, because if the Americans pull out, which I think you know, we should never have gone in the first place, 2003, as I've said many times in my US foreign policy class, that was the biggest mistake, foreign policy mistake in the United States uh, government. Um, by breaking Iraq, we've created absolute uh, mess there in the Middle East. So this, the, the, the vote was very symbolic. You know, Iraq needs United States militarily. Uh, I think that um, the president has said he doesn't want to get involved in any uh, more in military involvement overseas. I think he's said that, he's always said that. But he has some, you know, he has to, uh, you know, make uh, the Israelis uh, happy and the Saudis. The, both Saudis and the Israelis actually have a, a mutual interest in Iran being contained. And as long as these two allies of the United States, Saudi Arabia and Persian Gulf, right? Persian Gulf, United Arab Emirates and Kuwait and Saudi Arabia are sort of threatened by the Islamic Republic of Iran, the United States will uh, accommodate the interest of Israel and Saudi Arabia vis-a-vis -vis Iran. To better understand the effect of the crisis on Iraq, as well as the Iraqi reaction, we spoke with pioneer law contributor Abdo Arayas. I'm here with Abdo Arayas. Uh, Abdul, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, from Iraq, I've been in the United States for about four years. Uh, I've lived most of my life in Baghdad and in Kurdistan, which is in the north of Iraq. I, uh, I host a campus, uh, a, a show on campus called Abdul's Late Show. It discusses uh, Middle Eastern politics, a little bit of American politics, uh, with a touch of comedy. Uh, the next episode is going to be on the 24th of February at 7 o'clock in the council chambers. So be there. Thanks for being here. So I guess my first question for you uh, is what does the assassination and then the whole Iran crisis mean for Iraq? Right? A lot of these events took place in Iraq. Um, what's been the Iraqi reaction? Yeah, so um, I think the assassination means that Iraq is going to continue to be used as a medium for the United States and Iran to basically do all their dirty business in. And this has started, not recently, this started uh, after the invasion of Iraq in 2003 and continues to this day. Uh, both countries and other countries like Saudi Arabia and Qatar have been uh, putting in military resources, financial resources, uh, lots of intelligence to try and basically gain control of the country. Um, this means that 
Well, it has several implications, uh, several important short-term implications. The most important one is that today there is a ton of protests going on in Baghdad and other southern cities. These protests are going on because um, young people, mostly my age, a bit older, uh, mostly from uh, really low economic backgrounds or middle uh, economic backgrounds, are just had the, you know, it was enough for them. They they can't uh, get jobs. They graduate with really prestigious degrees with no with with nothing in the inside um and so it started with very peaceful protests and the government in response to these peaceful protests used live ammunition used tear gas bombs used basically let militias attack the protesters and after that happened way more people joined in and the fact that assassination happened right now removes all that needed attention from the protests in Iraq. So that's one of the implications. The other implication is that if the assassination happened in Iraq, that means the Iranian response is going to happen to Iraq. And I mean, it's a clear violation of Iraqi sovereignty from both from both uh, sides but the Iraqi officials basically don't have the capacity to stop any of the sides. So what you're saying is that the assassination has essentially distracted from the ongoing kind of domestic... Yeah, domestic unrest because mm -hmm. we need all the attention on the protesters. Protesters are dying, protesters... Like it's, it's human rights crimes basically mm -hmm. and I mean, so far there hasn't been the kind of international pressure we need. I mean, essentially that's why I started speaking about this is because um, it was just a desperate try because people are, you know, are, are dying and no one's being hurt. And uh, so hopefully with in the next few weeks, there will be more international coverage of what's going on. More countries will be willing to place sanctions on the government of Iraq today. Um, I mean, the this the political situation is unclear and is complicated. So I don't know how in depth do you want me to go into that. Well, can you describe exactly what the what the people protesting? Or what they're protesting, what they're asking for from the government? Yeah, so uh, they're basically asking for. Okay, so in a normal day in Baghdad, you would wake up and there would probably be no electricity. There were they in some places there is no running water, and some places you'll go to you to kids will go to their schools and there will be uh, a ton of overpopulation in the schools. Very very few desks. There's going to be, uh, there's, nobody feels safe. There's a lot of kidnapping happening. Police, it's hard to get a hand of. And all of this is happening in one of the richest countries in Middle East and in the world. We have a huge oil, you know, lots of petroleum resources. But yet, you know, the life quality is really low. And... Meanwhile, the the politicians have not even been shy about, you know, their uh, 
their relationships with other countries. The New York Times a while back published uh, some like secret documents that showed that like of Iraqi officials going up to the ex-Iraqi Prime Minister Nur al-Maliki, showing that they have like pledged their allegiances to Iran and like they're will do anything for you basically and you know what can you expect from those people they're probably not going to be taking care of the domestic issues and so the so the, the blame really rests with or uh, from the protester point of view the blame rests on on the corruption of the government and the weakness of the government to fix yes mm -hmm. but also on the foreign intervention so people are really sick of um iran and the united states basically because um when you intervene in a country there is a ton of unintended consequences um i mean i i strongly believe isis is one of those um and so is al-qaeda um but uh, people are just sick of having uh the united states and iran uh, not, not, not only talking about military presence here. Military presence is, is the, is the lesser of the evils here. I'm talking about you know, basically appointing politicians, influencing the government, in ways where they're basically directing the whole country. And I must say at this point that Iran's influence, is way larger than the United States influence. Like after 2003, there was one country that benefited from the Iraq-American war was Iran. Because the kind of influence they have in Iraq is not only militaristic. They have cultural influence, they have, and, and they don't only control the, like the top politicians. Documents show that they control mid-level, low-level politicians, like it, the, the, their roots in Iraq go everywhere right now. They fund a ton of militias that have been killing protesters, that have been, that were also instrumental in fighting ISIS. At the time, nobody thought, oh, this is going to be a problem. But now they have lots of guns and they have, you know, they have as much power as the military, nearly. So it's, it's hard to be like, you know, it's hard for the protesters to just be because not even the military can, can you know, save them if it wanted to. What can, or can you describe the significance of, and and the reaction uh, in the, in the Iraqi people of having right this this whole all these events play out in our in Iraq right the retaliatory strike the first strike all occurred in in Iraq. Mm. Well, so after the strike. Uh, to be honest with you, I was, uh, I'm glad that Qasem Soleimani no longer is uh, alive and plotting uh, all these plans that led to the death of thousands of people, maybe more. And, uh, you know, Qasem Soleimani was the leader of uh, the uh, the Quds, the, the Revolutionary Guards. And uh, he, people in Iraq know him. I, I knew of his name from a very young age. He's been, uh, you know, one of those figures where 
you know, he's he's basically been indirectly ruling Iraq. When the when the protests first erupted in October, uh, we the Iraqi uh, ministers had an emergency meeting that was supposed to be led by the prime minister. Instead, Qasem Soleimani flew that same night from Tehran to Baghdad and was the head of that meeting with all the other ministers and basically told them how to, you know, control the protests and directed that. Um, and so in a way he's responsible for the death of all those protesters, Iraqi protesters. Um, so I can't say I was, I definitely wasn't sad about his death. Uh, and lots of Iraqis felt this way. There was baklava given, uh, it's a national suite, uh, given out in the streets. Uh, and there was, uh, you know, people dancing. But all of that was happening in Tahrir Square. Tahrir Square is in Baghdad and houses most of the, uh, like, civil, educated, higher income protesters. Who, who are coming into this with a secular point of view. Who are sick of religious rule who are sick of you know like dictatorship they want a dem democracy they they understand the you know the implications of foreign intervention and all of that now there are other protesters going on by uh by groups like uh, the sadrists who are controlled by muqtada sadr he's a prominent shia cleric and there are there are many other groups who come from lower income, more religious backgrounds, and they are, I mean, they, they've been basically blindly following whatever their leaders have told them to do so. And i give you a good example. With the Sadrists, they, the, their leader told them to participate, and they did, and told them to protect the, uh, the civil protesters, and they did. And then he told them to back off, which was a problem for the protesters uh, because it made them open for governmental uh, uh, crackdowns. And now he's told his followers to attack the protesters. So just on Wednesday night, last night, al-Sadrists went and shot protesters who just a few weeks back, they were protesting together for the same demands. Um, and so those, so back to your question, some people have been really happy about it. Also, a lot of people, uh, were really upset about it because I mean, the, the, most of the current Iraqi cabinet were participating in the Iraq-Iran war from 1980 to 1988, but they were on the Irani side. They weren't on the Iraqi side. And, you know, that's interesting is that uh, you have, like, like even the ex-prime minister and, uh, you know, people who ran for the uh, the prime minister position in this last elections were all people who fought against Iraq. And, you know, they, they, they could argue that they were fighting against Saddam Hussein and not, and not Iraq. But on the day, they were shooting Iraqi soldiers. Um, so yeah, so we, we had, we had people who were happy about it. We also had people who were mourning it. He was, he was mourned and there's a memorial for him in Baghdad. 
at the same time. So it was a, it was a very complex reaction. Uh, again, nobody, both sides did not want the, did not want the strike to happen. Did not want him killed in Baghdad. You could kill him, kill him in Tehran. It, that, that wouldn't be Iraq's problem. There is, but since the attack happened in Iraq, that means the response is in Iraq. That means attention is being taken off the protests, which in the end matters the most for Iraq. Okay, and so I think I think my kind of last question for you is is how will you see this going from here, right? Iran has retaliated. It seems kind of to be kind of at a stalemate. Mm. Um, but you're saying the protests are still going on, going on in Iraq. Where does it go from here? Mm. Well, it looks like things are calming down. It doesn't look like we're headed to a third world war, which is great. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that's a good question. I wish I could tell you with great certainty. Um, it, the future does not, unfortunately, does not look very bright for Iraq. Um, they just appointed a new prime minister who needs to create a government in about a month. I can't even remember his name. It's He's mm -hmm. that new to the public scene. He's just one of those politicians who came back after 2003. He was in some of the old governments, did nothing. Um, the public has rejected him. So, I mean, he's starting his... Uh, government already being illegitimate. Um, so you don't see the protesters as acknowledging when he once he forms a government, you don't see the protesters as acknowledging that as, as embodying any of their ideals. Yeah, the, the protesters want uh, they, they've suggested some some new names that have not been in the government since 2003 or even before some names that have not uh, they've suggested some lawyers, some doctors, that are public figures that are not politicians because they're they're done with the political class they 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 want them out uh there's no trust in the mm. political uh class anymore um but also one of the interesting things about this these protests is they don't they're uh, they don't have a leader so most protesters uh, most protests you know have you you can pinpoint a leader mm. And the reason they ha haven't had a leader is because whoever rose to, not even leader, being a semi-leader, was immediately killed or kidnapped. And so, I mean, the way that that makes it harder for to make, you know, reps to speak about, about the protester demands, but at the same time, it makes it harder for the government to cut you know the heads of the protests to to cut the you know kill the leaders and then the following are, are left in mm -hmm. confusion so you see this domestic conflict going on for some time yes unless um well it is becoming harder and harder for protesters to stay in their tents and because they, they've been staying in tents in in the middle of baghdad it's becoming harder and harder. It's it's the winter months. Um, they're they're under again live ammunition, 
tear gas bombs. Now the more militias are attacking them with Al Sadr. So I unfortunately I don't have an optimistic view of this. And that's why I think international coverage and pressure is really important right now to send in like maybe UN peacekeepers or something to uh, make sure that the government is uh, applying with international law with how they deal with the protesters. That's it for the seventh episode of the Piopod. We hope you enjoyed it. Follow Pioneer Log on Instagram for podcast updates. If you have ideas for stories you want the Pioneer Log to cover, contact us at thepiopod at lclark.edu. That is the P-I-O-P-O-D at lclark.edu or visit our website at piolog.com. Thanks for listening 